0: Great, good morning, everybody. Always oh, a bit quiet. Morning, everyone. Are you enjoying the summer weather? It's been great, hasn't it? Let's just pray, shall we? And then I'll get into what I want to do today. Father, we thank you for your love and goodness to us. We thank you that we can come and worship the Lord Jesus Christ. Thank you that he means so much to us. And we thank you for your word and all you speak to us in your word. And I pray this morning that as we look into your word... I pray for the name of Jesus to be uplifted and glorified. I pray for people's lives to be impacted by your spirit and touched by you, I ask in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, if you have your Bibles, um, fine. I'd like you to turn to Galatians chapter 6. I'm going to preach just from one verse this morning, and it's in Galatians 6, verse 14. And It's up here on the screen, hopefully. And it says this, it says, may I never boast except in the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ through which the world has been crucified to me and I to the world. May I never boast except in the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ through which the world has been crucified to me and I to the world. <clears throat> well, I don't know all of you. I know quite a few of you. But I wonder what you boast about in life. I wonder what your number one boast is. Maybe it's a bit like Jeff. You saw the Arsenal game and the Chelsea games. Anybody see the game yesterday? I saw, I I see we've got some Chelsea supporters over there. So I, I saw the game, we had a, a neighbor's um, bash barbecue, and uh, suddenly I disappeared. They said, where's Steve gone? <laughs> and uh, I nipped in to see the football, and it was just across the road from us, and then I, I saw, I very excited, and uh, my son's a big Arsenal supporter, then I went back and joined them, and they were very excited, you know, some of them who were Arsenal supporters. But I wonder what you boast about it. I wonder what your boast today. I wonder if I was to go around the room and say, what is your main boast in life? What is the thing? Maybe it's your new pair of all-star trainers, your shoes. Maybe it's your education. Maybe it's the college tie you went to. Maybe it's your new husband, your new relationship, your job. I met people and um, they just sort of you, you get the feel. They just say, Ask me, please ask me what my job is. Ask me what my job is. And you're, you're, they're waiting. Oh, I'm glad you asked that. And then they, they say, I, I do this, this, and this. And you know, oh, that's impressive. What do you do? Well, nothing quite that. <laughs> um, what is your boast? Because one of the most clever guys who ever lived, the Apostle Paul, he wrote this. He said, May I never boast. May I never boast except in the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ through which the world has been crucified to me and I have been crucified to the world. A very clever, very intelligent man, he wrote that. And it's here in our word for us to look at. So what was the cross? This was something which was invented by the Romans and it was a way that they dealt quickly with insurrection any rebellion, uprising. They swiftly dealt with it, ruthless. <clears throat> they would crucify people like you'd swat flies on a hot day. They'd just get rid of them. Deal with it. That's how they ran their empire. That's how they dealt with any uprising or anything. You cross us, nailed to a cross. And by the way, not only you, this is an example to everyone who watches and follows in your suit. That's the way you're going. And they dealt a ruthless, Group of people. It was the capital punishment of the day. What a thing! What a gruesome thing for someone to say. I, I glory in that. I, I I boast in that. You think are Christians mad? Have they lost their mind? Are they some morbid, gruesome group of people? I've seen I've seen Christians wear crosses round their neck. I've seen people with earrings with crosses dangling on them. I said to a girl once, "Why are you wearing those crosses?" Dangling from your ears, she said, "I don't really know. It's a symbol of capital punishment. Just imagine if somebody wore around their um, neck the electric chair or the guillotine. You think, are you nuts? You wouldn't go to a party or, you know, buy your husband or wife a, a cry, you know, a guillotine round the neck for for Christmas. You wouldn't do it. So we have to say, is this man has he lost his mind?" Well, the reality is he's not boasting in crucifixion. He's not boasting in capital punishment. He is boasting in the cross of one particular person. He is boasting in the cross of Jesus Christ. I boast in the cross of Jesus Christ. That's why I am boast. May I never boast of anything except in the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ. And my question today is why did he boast in the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ and I've got four things that he boasted about. First of all he boasted in the cross because the cross spoke of God's love. We're in a day where love is somewhat confused but in the Bible the love is clearly seen in terms of a commitment and a demonstration and we've almost lost in our day the meaning of love. And it says in Ephesians, it says, husbands, love your wives. Oh, love your wife. How? As Christ loved the church and gave himself for her. He's in my word. We moved back from Sydney, Australia, a couple of years ago, where we were church planting. And we lived on the northern beaches, a fantastic place to live. It really was out of this world. It was like paradise. It was amazing. And just down the road from where we lived, they used to film Home and Away. And we would very often see the stars of Home and Away. In fact, Ruth has got pictures with different stars. And there she is, and standing with them. And, uh, you know, you would, you would know them. And they're very well known. <clears throat> and so we used to watch a little bit of Home and Away. It's on about 6 o'clock or half past 6. And we thought, oh, we were there. We remember that bit. Oh, that's so-and-so. Do you remember that? I wonder if you are in the shot. Of course we weren't. And uh, we used to watch it. And then you get into the story a little bit. And suddenly you find that people develop relationships. You think, oh, lovely. Then they get married. And then you find a year later, it's all blown up. And they're off to someone else. And you think this happens again and again and again and again. We're putting that on our TVs every night in front of the world. And we're training them in that. That's what love is. It's a wonder sometimes that we're in such a mess. When we look at the Bible, we find that love actually is a commitment. And we find that God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son. He gave him. And the Bible tells us that the, the, the love of Christ, that God demonstrates his love. This is how God demonstrates his love to you today. This is what the Bible says. He demonstrates it, that Christ died for you. That Christ died for me. If you're here today feeling a bit sad and sorry for yourself, if you feel you've had a tough week, does, is there a God, does he really love me? I want to do this, I want to challenge you, take a long look at the cross of Calvary because it is first of all a demonstration of God's love to the world. There once a Roman Catholic church, the three boys went to the church and they, they larked around these teenage lads all through the service and the sort of quite godly priest in the Roman Catholic Church, he saw these three boys and he said, just before you go, lads, he said, I'd like to have a word with you. He said, "Um, I know you've had your fun. He said, just before you go, he said, I want you to kneel down before the crucifix and then say, all for me, and I couldn't care less. The first one said, all for me, I couldn't care less. And then the second one knelt down, he said, all for me, And he started crying. (laughs) And the third one was already in tears because he realized the reality that Jesus had died on the cross for him because he loved him. It is a demonstration of God's love. We can get, as Christians, very familiar. Never, ever let us lose sight of a demonstration today of God's love for you and for me. Can you say amen? But not only was it a demonstration of God's love, it was also a demonstration of salvation. Salvation. Jesus is called the Savior of the world. I read this morning in Luke's Gospel that when the angel appeared to Joseph, he said, you're going to call his name Jesus because he's going to save people. Save people? What do you mean save them? He's going to save people from their sins. Reality is today that we have our number one enemy in our life is sin, and sin is actual separation from God. It's the number one problem of every person. And the Bible tells us that we've all sinned, we've all fallen short of God's amazing standards, and we are separated from God, absolutely separated from him. And the cross deals with this problem. Sometimes people ask, well, what actually is sin? I've heard people say, well, is this a sin? Is this a... Sin in its essence is this. It is leaving God out of your life. It's wanting to live a life without him, have no reference to him at all. Frank Sinatra summed it up in one of the world's most popular songs, I Did It My Way. And it's just you want to live your way with no reference to God at all. C.S. Lewis said this. He said that hell... Hell is God giving to a person their heart's desire to live without him forever. They don't want to know God. They curse him. They don't want to know. And hell is God giving a person over to their heart's desire. All your life you've chosen to ignore me and live without me. I grant you your heart's desire. C.S. Lewis. Bible says of Jesus he came to his own people he came to a world and though the world was made through him he came to his own creation they didn't recognize him he came to his own but his own people didn't receive him they said away with you we're going to nail you to a cross give us the murderer give us Barabbas give us the terrorist that's who we want Some people say, I don't think I am a sinner. I'm not not really a sinner. I'm not like Hitler. I'm not like Pol Pot. I went to Cambodia. I went to one of the concentration camps where Pol Pot murdered thousands and thousands of people. It It took me three days to recover just to get back from normal, you thought, how can anybody be so brutal? How can that happen in our day? You compare yourself with the worst sort of people. You think, I'm not a Pol Pot. I'm not a Hitler. I'm not a murderer. I'm not an adulterer. I I actually live quite a good life. The, 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 The problem with that is, is that we're not called to compare ourselves with Hitler or Pol Pot. We're called to compare ourselves with Jesus Christ. I'm called to compare myself with Jesus. Oh boy, oh boy. And when I compare myself with Jesus, I suddenly realize, oh boy, I've fallen a long way short of his standards. I got involved years ago with the Hells Angels, a group of the Hells Angels. I was aware of sin like you wouldn't believe. I was aware. You didn't have to say to me, You're a sinner. I knew I could give you a million things that I've done wrong. I knew that I needed God's mercy. (laughs) I knew that I needed his forgiveness. And the problem with sin, not only does it separate, it also has a price tag. Eternal separation from God. And the Bible tells us the wages of sin, the price tag with sin, is, is death. Separation from God. Do you know there's only two places that God deals with sin... There's only two places in this word where, <coughs> where sin is dealt with. <coughs> Excuse me for coughing. One is on the cross of Calvary where Jesus Christ deals with your sin. The other place that it's dealt with is in hell where you bear it yourself for eternity. You say to me, that's a bit harsh, isn't it? The Bible is very, 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 very clear about the doctrine of hell. The one who spoke most about it was the one who created it, Jesus. If I knew that there was a great hole down the road when you were driving down there tonight, I would do everything I could to stop you. If I knew there was going to be a bomb blowing up in the city, I would do everything I could to stop you. The trouble is with terrorism is sometimes it's too little, too late No warning. The Bible is very, very clear about warnings. And it's a sign of God's mercy and love that he's given us a lifetime to heed the warnings. And the wonderful thing is, although God judges sin, which he does, and he has a price tag of eternal separation, death, the wonderful good news of the gospel is that Jesus paid for your sin. He paid for my sin in his body on the cross. Can you say amen? Amen. Jesus died. He took my my sin. All my stuff with the hell's angels, all my stuff, years and years of sin, my own pride, my own greed, my own lust, my own hatred. Jesus carried it all and he was nailed to the cross. Bible tells us he was actually our substitute. We know a lot about substitutes. I saw in the FA Cup final yesterday, somebody substituted. Player coming off. Another one going on. Many years ago, when I did my engineering apprenticeship, I worked in a workshop, and there was a man there, um, and he had two steel legs. And the only way he could walk was he actually swung his whole body around with these legs. He sort of walked like this. And he used to work in the stores, and you could see him go and get something. And then he'd grab it and come back. And I said to somebody, he was a lovely guy, I said to somebody, <clears throat> was, um, was John born like that? And they said, Oh, no, 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 no. John wasn't born like that. John was a really good footballer. One day, he was out on a Sunday afternoon with his children down a country lane, this this maniac of a driver came hurtling along the road, lost control of the car, and went straight towards his children. And he ran and he dived and he threw the children out the way. And as he did, the car went straight over his legs and severed both of them. He substituted his own legs, his life, to save his children. And that's exactly what happened on the cross. You deserve... To be nailed here. I deserve to be nailed here. But Jesus came, pushed us out the way, and he hung there on our behalf that we might go free. That's why the Apostle Paul says, I glory in the cross. That's why he says, I glory in it. That's why I glory in it, because it has totally changed my life. But there's another thing about the cross. Not only does the cross speak about love, not only does the cross speak about salvation, the cross also speaks about suffering. The cross speaks about suffering. You see, I would have a lot of philosophical problems in this world if at the heart of Christianity, there wasn't a God who understands suffering. I'd have a lot of problems about the wars, the famine, the greed, the injustice, the suffering that people have to face, the violence. I went to Thailand earlier this year. And when you see in Thailand, you see the, the sort of the big Buddhas with their fat bellies and their smug smile. And I'm not trying to be offensive. It's just how it is. And you see them with pearl necklaces, People putting gold on them. It seems so distant to the man in the street. When I go to India, which I go to India, and they have three trillion gods, and they've got all their arms and legs and everything, and people come and put their garlands and their saffrons at their feet. It seems a million miles from the person in the street. But when I look at Jesus, I see someone who stepped out of heaven and came and he touched the lepers. And healed them. I came so, and see somebody who opened the eyes of the poor blind. That everybody else says, "Shut up! Get out of it!" I see him unstop the ears of deaf people. I see him touch the tongue of a mute person. I see him with the widow's of Nain's son who's died, and it's, it's the end of her livelihood. Her son's dead. Her husband's dead. And oh, what can I do? I see Jesus coming, saying, "Stop! Arise from the dead." I see him feeding the hungry. I see him walking on the water. I see him living a holy, pure life. And then I see him betrayed, spoken against, hated, mocked, beaten, tortured, humiliated, suffering the death of a criminal, forsaken, nailed to a cross. When I see the gnarled, twisted, broken body of Jesus at the center of Christianity, that's why I'm a Christian. Because there's a God at the heart of Christianity who understands suffering, who understands wickedness, who understands violence, who has been on the wrong end of hatred, evil, has been on the receiving end. It's summed up very well in a play that I read some time ago, and it's called The Long Silence. Maybe you've heard it before, but I'll just read it to you. And it sums up this sort of thing very well. It's, and it's a, a play which is about the end of time when people are gathered before God's throne. And it says this. It says, at the end of time, billions of people were scattered on a great plane before God's throne. Most of them shrank back from the brilliant light before them, but some groups near the front talked heatedly, not with a cringing shame, but with a belligerence. How can God judge us? How can he know anything about sn- suffering? Snapped a perch young brunette. She ripped open a sleeve to reveal the tattoo of a Nazi concentration camp. We endured torture, beatings, terror, death. In another group, a Negro boy pulled down his shirt, lowered his collar, showing an ugly rope burn, lynched for no crime other than being black. In another crowd, a pregnant schoolgirl with sullen eyes, she cried out, why why should I suffer? It wasn't my fault (laughs) that I got raped. Far across the plain were hundreds of such groups and each of them had a complaint against God for the evil and the suffering that he permitted in this world. And how lucky God was to live in heaven where all was sweetness and light, where there was no weeping, no fear, no hunger, no hatred. Oh, how lucky you are, God. What did God know after all about what they had been forced to endure in this world? For God leads a pretty sheltered life, doesn't he, they said. So each of the groups sent forth a leader, chosen because they'd suffered the most. There was a Jew, there was a Negro, a person from Hiroshima, a horribly deformed arthritic, a thalidomide child. And in the center of the (laughs) plane, they consulted with each other and at last they were ready to present their case to God it's very clever before God can judge us and be qualified to be our judge he must endure what we've had to endure their decision was that God should be sentenced to live on earth as a man let him be born a Jew let the legitimacy of his birth be doubted give him a work that's so difficult that even his family will think he's out of his mind when he tries to do it let him be betrayed, yes, by his closest friends. Let him face false charges. Let him be tried by a prejudiced jury, convicted by a cowardly judge, and let him be tortured. Then at last, let him see what it means to be terribly alone. Yeah, let him die on his own. And let him die so that there can be no doubt that he is dead. Let there be a great host of witnesses to verify it. As each leader announced his portion of the sentence, loud murmurs of approval and cheers went up from the throng of people assembled. And when the last one had finished their sentence to God, they saw Jesus. And suddenly they realized the God had already served his sentence here on earth. The pure, holy, spotless Son of God nailed to a cross. This is why I today am a born-again believing Christian. This is why I am not a Hindu or a Buddhist or anything else, because at the heart of Christianity is the gnarled, twisted, broken body of God who said, I'll become a man and I'll be on the receiving end of wickedness at its nth degree. That's why I'm a Christian. Because Jesus suffered in a way that none of us here have ever, ever experienced. Or probably will ever experience. There is no suffering that you can go through where Christ has not been before. And that is why he can help any man, any woman in their time of need because he has first of all been there. And the one who created hell is the one who actually rescues us from it and saves us for all eternity. Paul said, I boast in the cross because it speaks of God's love. It speaks of his salvation, it speaks of God who understands suffering, but also this, and this is my last point this morning, that he boasted in the cross because it spoke of God's power. It spoke of God's power. I mentioned the Roman Catholic Church earlier, that there was a Roman Catholic priest. You see in Roman Catholic churches a crucifix with Jesus hanging on it. Actually, that is inaccurate. It was accurate 2,000 years ago, but the reality today is that Jesus is no longer on the cross. He has risen from the dead, and for the last 2,000 years, he's no longer on a cross. He's risen from the dead. This cross is an empty cross, and it speaks of God's power over fear. It speaks of God's power over death. It speaks of God's power that he he has forgiven our sins. I'm a Christian because I believe in the cross, but also my certainty is in the fact that Jesus rose from the dead and is alive forevermore. He's seated in heaven. He rules and he reigns now. Can you say amen? Amen. That's where he is. He's got power to forgive you. He's got power to forgive your sin. Maybe you're here today thinking, I've done terrible things. I had someone say to me, I've done something I couldn't even tell my wife. If someone finds out, I just feel guilty, guilty, guilty. He can deliver you from your sin. And this is where you get delivered. He can deliver you from the fear of death. Maybe there are people here today who are very afraid of dying. There's someone here today who's afraid of getting some terrible illness. There's someone here today who's afraid of a cancerous condition. And God can set you free from that. We're going to pray at the end this morning. He can touch and he can heal your physical bodies. Because he told us to proclaim this message and signs and wonders will follow the proclaiming of the message. We spoke to Eddie, who's connected with his church out in Bulgaria. Is it Bulgaria? many? And he told us a story of a little baby that was born. This little baby had an intestine which was only... I think a one inch long. And they were obviously concerned. They prayed for this baby, and the intestine grew to thirty-five centimeters. God can do amazing things. A friend of mine told me that he came to Lewis last week. He's one of the elders of the Heathfield Church. And he went to an auction here. Somebody said, Come to me with an auction. And a man followed him round. And he had a pain in his side. And Chris thought, I've, it's my day off today. <laughs> don't feel like praying for anyone. That's what he said. And then this guy said, I've got a real pain in my leg. And um, Chris turned around and he said, would you like us to pray for you? And God touched the man and healed the man. This was last week here in Lewis. And he phoned Chris up just to say that God has wonderfully touched me. One of the most beautiful things I ever saw was when I was in Heathfield. I was pastoring the church in Heathfield some years ago and there was a girl there and she'd had two cot deaths. It was probably one of the most difficult pastoral situations I'd ever known. She'd had two. Two cot deaths. And then she was found to be pregnant again. And she was was petrified. What's going to happen? What's going to happen? What's going to happen? She went to the to the hospital and they they did the ultra, what do you call it the ultra scan or whatever it's called and um, they, they, they said they said look I'm sorry but the placenta which is attached to the wall of the uterus is so low down that you cannot give birth to the child in the normal way we're going to have to do a caesarean section on this child she phoned us up, two cot deaths caesarean, she was petrified <laughs> So Ruth and I went and prayed. And by the way, I'm in faith to pray for pregnant ladies. <laughs> Not to get pregnant, but to, uh, I'm in faith to pray for them. I've always have been. And it's just a, a special thing God's given to us as a couple to pray for people. And we prayed for this girl. And she said she, she knew some quite violent moves which were very different to the normal kickings of the baby. She went into the hospital for the Caesarean operation. And they said, Oh, well, let's just check things out. And they put the scanner on. They said, Hold on a minute. What did the last result show? And they said, the placenta is in exactly the right place. It had moved. Now it's attached to the wall of the uterus. It can't move. But actually, this one did move. And God can do amazing things. I believe, I believe, I believe in a God of miracles. Jesus rose from the dead. I believe it. I do. I believe God can touch people today. I believe God can forgive your sin. Forgive my sin. Your life could change in a day, in a moment. And it changes the day you meet Jesus. I believe that Jesus can touch your physical body. I believe he can deliver you from fear. Fear of death, fear of illness. And I believe that his power, this power which is unleashed for the church is ready and available to you right here today and the bible tells us these signs will accompany those who preach the gospel i've preached the gospel we're going to look for god to touch people powerfully by his spirit i'm going to pray with the elders and the other team we're going to pray for anybody this morning there may be somebody here i can see somebody here it's as though you're sitting on a fence it's like a fence. And so you're sitting on the fence, wondering, shall I shant I? shall I shant I? I want you to know this. There is no fence. In the Bible, there is no fence. You're either light or dark. You're either for or against. You're in either in Adam or you're in Christ. You're either in lightness or dark. If you know that you don't know Jesus Christ as your Lord and Saviour, Today could be the day your life changes. I'd love to pray with you. It would be a real privilege. I'd love to pray with anybody this morning who says I'd like to be delivered from this fear, from that fear. I'd love to pray along with the others for anybody who needs prayer for any physical ailment in their body. We're going to look and ask Jesus to come and touch people. Can you say amen?